0: Amen. You can have a seat. Thank you so much for being here. If I haven't met you yet, I'm Robbie. Um, I have the privilege of, of pastoring this, uh, this new church here in Greenwood, and we're so glad that you're here to worship with us uh, this morning. We're so glad that you joined us. You could have been doing a lot of things, but you ended up in the movie theater, so how about that? Um, believe it or not, Thanksgiving is upon us, right? This is the week of Thanksgiving. Now, I personally believe that Thanksgiving kind of gets uh, a little overshadowed, right? Like, some of its, its former notoriety gets lost in translation. And here's, here's what I mean by that. Thanksgiving has just been kind of mashed into this time period that we affectionately refer to as the holidays. Right? Thanksgiving just kind of gets shoved in there. Basically, everybody gets all excited and, and geeked out about Halloween or angry about it, if that's your thing. So and then everybody and then it goes it runs all the way you know through through Christmas and, and and extends through the New Year's and all of this is the holidays. It's just this clump of time called the holidays and Thanksgiving. I feel like I feel like it's just kind of in there. In fact, I would say that most people just use it as a tipping point so that they can go all in on Christmas. Uh, you can't tell me that that's not true. There's so many in here that's like, let's just get through Thanksgiving and then it's Christmas time. Let's go. We're ready. We're ready. Uh, it tells us that Christmas is coming, which is not. A bad thing. I mentioned this last week even, uh, I think that even the old rule, uh, there was an old rule of thumb that basically said you don't celebrate Christmas until Thanksgiving is over. You don't do the Christmas thing until the Friday after Thanksgiving, right? But, but that rule, that rule is gone. I don't know if you've realized this or noticed this, if you've lived under a rock for the last 20 years, that rule is gone. It's out the window. At one time, it was morally reprehensible to celebrate Christmas before Thanksgiving, at least in my book. And now that's been completely thrown by the wayside. You celebrate Christmas whenever you want to start celebrating Christmas now. August, September, whenever. Like whenever Walmart starts putting the Christmas stuff out, that's, you're there. there. There are people uh, that have already decorated their houses, maybe some people in this theater, and I'm not going to judge. I see your Facebook posts. I know what's up. I know you got the trees up and the lawn inflatables are blowing. I get that. Lights are already on the on the on the on the side of the house. Santa's already bowing down to Jesus in the front yards. Uh-oh. Did I say that? It's already happening. Now I'm not perfect in all this. I've already eaten a whole box of Christmas tree cakes. So <laughs> I'm in it. What are you gonna do? However, I want you to indulge me for a few moments here this morning as I direct our attention away from the trees and the and the gifts and the lights and the Black Friday deals, and I just want st- to to take some time to be thankful. To understand what it means to be thankful. To, to lean into Thanksgiving. You see, I have a birthday. Uh, I have a birthday in December. It's December 15th if you're taking notes. Uh, December 15th. Uh, shoe size 10 and a half, shirt size large, whatever. Whatever you want to write down. It's just, you, you do you, you know. Um, so uh, I have a birthday in December, only 10 days before Christmas. Sounds fun, right? Having your birthday in the midst of such an exciting season. So great. So fun. It's so awesome. You can think of all these ideas, all these things you could do for your birthday. No, you would be wrong to assume that. Because my birthday is December 15th. I discovered while growing up that it was overshadowed by the bigger, better holiday that was to come. Christmas. So instead of getting a lot of gifts because it's the holidays and everybody's in the giving mood, I instead got this statement. We didn't get you anything for your birthday, but we're going to get you something extra special for Christmas. As a kid, that did not sit well with me. Quantity is far better than quality when you're eight years old. Am I right? Like, it's so much better. Maybe when you're 30 years old. I don't know. Like, quantity is so much better than quality. And so I, I would have rather two crappy gifts than, and, and have something on my birthday than wait all the way until Christmas to get something, you know, just one thing. And let's face it, I had no idea if that Christmas gift was any better than the one you were going to get me if you had gotten me a birthday present. And so, like, I was working through all of these things. I'm not bitter about it, and I've gotten over it, believe me. Um, but people of God hear me say this. In my youthful, non-Christian days, I was pretty ticked at baby Jesus and jolly old St. Nick for stealing some of my thunder. I'm past it now, I promise. But I want to make sure that we take some time to be thankful and that we don't allow the, the rush and the excitement of the holiday season to come to overshadow the holiday season that we're in right now. Hopefully, we're doing this every day. Hopefully, we're being thankful. We're constantly thankful for all that God's done, but but on a day and a week designed to cause us to reflect and be thankful, I don't want that moment to pass us by. So go ahead and turn to Psalm 118 here this morning. We're going to be there all morning. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. It's going to be on the screens behind me as well, the, the Big screen. If you need help finding Psalm 118, it's in the very center of the Bible, more or less. Uh, as far as chapter count is concerned, it is actually the dead center of the Bible. The longest chapter of the Bible comes uh, right—it uh, comes actually right after this chapter, Psalm 119. The shortest chapter of the Bible falls right before. This chapter, which is Psalm 117, and there are exactly 594 chapters before Psalm 118 and 594 chapters after uh, Psalm 118, and when you add those two numbers together, uh, the chapters before and after Psalm 118, the sum is 1,118, and the verse at the very center of the Bible is Psalm 118, eight. It's almost as if some divine, all-knowing being with a divine and perfect purpose planned out all of this and put all of this together. Um, who knows? Here we go. We know. Just kidding. Here we go. Uh, We're going to start in verse 1. We're going to read through this, and then we'll go back and sort of talk about sort of uh, the way we roll. Here we go. Uh, uh, Starting in verse 1. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, his steadfast love endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went on, uh, they went out like a, a fire among thorns. And in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was being, uh, I pushed hard so that I was falling. I was pushed hard so that I was falling. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Let me interrupt this regularly scheduled message with some context here, and then we'll jump back into the second half. Psalm 118 uh, is is part of a grouping of six psalms. All right, 113 to to 118, and it celebrates Israel's deliverance out of Egypt. In fact, verse 14 are actually lyrics that are pulled from another song that's found in Exodus 15, right after God parts the Red Sea. And there's a song of deliverance. That the Israelites sing, and one of those lyrics is, "The Lord is my strength and my song, and He has given me victory." So that lyric from that song is pulled and put into uh, the lyrics of this particular song. Psalm 118 is a song, and so the lyrics are pulled out of Exodus 15 and put in this one, and they're having. And so, when the Israelites are singing this, when they're hearing this, when they're reading this, they're having images of of the Red Sea being parted and God miraculously leading them through on dry ground. There were also three pilgrimages. It's is also important to know. There were also three pilgrim, k- pilgrimage feasts uh, celebrated by the Jewish people. And it meant that three times a year, Jewish uh, pilgrims from, from all around the ancient world would make their journey to Jerusalem to worship God in the temple. And, and, and it was these words, this song, that they would sing as they were on the way. So we have our road trip songs like "99 Bottles of Beer on the Wall" and "John Jacob Jingleheimer Schmidt," and, and like how that just gets stuck in our head, and you're gonna be singing that all day. So you're welcome. Um, this is the song that never ends. All right. Uh, well, their songs were slightly more spiritual, right? They're they're on the road trip and they're having a pretty spiritual song. They're talking about God's steadfast love. They're talking about God's deliverance. They're talking about uh, how awesome God is, and they're they're on this road trip, and 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 so. In Psalm 118, if you can imagine them singing it as they made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, what an incredible uh, thing that would have been. And, and here's where it gets interesting, and this is just a little bit of background to give um, some, some appreciation for the significance of Psalm 118. The psalm was sung at, at Passover at the end of the songbook. So honestly, here's what's cool to think about. There is a strong likelihood that Jesus and his disciples, as they celebrated the Last Supper, sang this very song. Psalm 118. In fact, it could be argued that this might have been the last song that Jesus sang before the unfolding events of his betrayal, crucifixion, and resurrection. It's also interesting to me that, that as Jesus entered Jerusalem, his triumphal entry into the city, do you remember what the people said? They said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Well, guess what? Psalm 118, verse 24, we haven't gotten there yet, but but they were chanting that in that, Psalm, that, that verse out of Psalm 118, out of that song, they were chanting that in reference to Jesus coming as the Messiah. They were chanting Psalm 118. They were affirming that Jesus was the fulfillment of this particular song. So let's keep going. Verse 15, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. We're going to skip ahead a bit because we don't have time to cover everything uh, that we've already read, much less the rest of the chapter. So we're going to actually skip ahead just a little bit toward the end and, and pick up in verse 24. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. I love that verse so much. Save us, we pray, O oh Lord. O oh Lord, we, we pray, give us success. forever. God, we pray that you would bless the reading of your word here this morning, that as we've entered into the scriptures, we open your word together, that you would uh, speak to us, that you would show us things that we couldn't see on our own, and that you will just sanctify my words and make them your own. We love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I don't know about you, but there are certain uh, commercial jingles that, that maybe uh, some current, maybe some from the childhood that get stuck in our minds, right, and we can't get them out. They just get, get stuck in here. We walk around all day singing and humming these jingles, and, and we, we remember these things. I don't know how we do it. I don't know why we do it. Uh, I mean, if, if I'm being honest, I, I, I have trouble remembering uh, getting all of my kids' birthdays straight. Like I know generally when they were born, and sometimes I get the dates kind of mixed up a little bit, and, 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 I, and I, I certainly don't remember any phone numbers. The only phone number I know is mine. And, and, and I, I know my wife's, but that's because hers is only a couple digits off from mine. Uh, and I, I certainly, I don't know my parents' phone numbers by heart, but for whatever reason, I know the phone number of George Sink, Injury Lawyer, 999-9999, right. You guys all know. How do, how do so many of us know that particular phone number? I don't get it. And the problem is, is it doesn't even stop there. For those who have been around for, uh, we're going to date you a little bit, date, date us a little bit, 30 years or more, we know how to spell relief. R-O-L-A-D, yes, Rolades. we know how that was a a jingle. Uh, What's the best part of waking up? Folgers in your cup, this is pathetic, we're all crazy. Uh, And my baloney has a first name. Yes. You know, here's, advertisers and marketers are genius at creating little cute sayings with jingles, and and they get them embedded into our consciousness, and unfortunately, they just, I, I think they just waste, like, hard drive space for me, and I'd rather get rid of them so I can bring something else in. Break me off a piece of that. Yeah. Some office fans in here, there you go. <laughs> I thought of that as I was reading this psalm, because this is one of the most repetitive psalms and and, and one of the more re- repetitious chapters in, in all of the Bible. His steadfast love endures forever five times. The Lord is on my side two times. It's better to take refuge in the Lord two times, in the name of the Lord three times, the right hand of the Lord three times You are my God two times. Give thanks to the Lord three times. Why would all this repetition be in this psalm? I think it's because it is the simple things that we need to remember. It's the simple things. It's these simple profound truths. Listen, I don't know. I probably probably shouldn't even say this, but I don't think you really need to learn a whole lot more. The reality is is we are all educated way beyond the level of our obedience already. I'm going to say that again for the people in the cheap seats. The reality is, is we are educated far beyond the level of our obedience. So so let's keep learning and keep growing. But the truth is, is I think it's about getting a few fundamental truths about God's nature, who he is, and and his good promises in Scripture. And then then cling on to those things. That they eventually get into your mind, and they get into your heart, and and, and eventually they get into your, your spirit. And they become the lens by which we view all of existence. I want to look at a few of those repetitions here this morning. First of all, it says in verse 6, uh, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. This is the place we need to start. This is a great starting place. I want to, I want to confront the issue out of the gate. I think a lot of us grew up in an environment, a well-meaning church environment, mind you, uh, which unfortunately didn't draw a clear distinction between Christianity and moralism. Moralism being the idea that just trying to do as many right things as we can to please God. The problem is, is, you can't do enough right things to please God. You can't. It's not possible. There's only one thing that pleases the justice of God, and it was the sacrifice of the sinless Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That's the only thing that pleases the Father. It was his sacrifice that puts us in right standing with God. It is not something we deserve, and that's why it's called grace. It's an unmerited favor of God. That's what grace is. We don't deserve it, but God freely offers it to us. But I think that this performance-based spirituality or, or righteousness, this idea of having to perform for God, really then just sets the table that is all about measuring what you are doing. And that is such a dangerous, slippery slope. Because what happens is you develop this perspective of God that he's waiting, he's waiting for you to maybe just slip up. right? He's just waiting for you to, to mess up. He's waiting for you to do something wrong. And when you do, he's going to pounce on you. In a sense, and we would probably never say this, but many of us live as if we think God is actually against us. Hear me right now. This is probably for somebody in this room. That is not true it is not true. Look at your neighbor and make sure they know it's not true. Somebody shout to your neighbor, it's not true. But let me take this a step further. Let me take this a step further because, I, again, I don't think many of us would say that God is against me. But some people, some people in here might not realize and believe that God is completely for us. I'll kind of say it the other way. I won't say God's against me, but Maybe God's not completely for me. There's doubt. Maybe God's withholding. Maybe God's intentions for us is not always good all the time. I'm convinced that if God could reveal to us, to to all of us, if he could reveal to all of us the very nature of his character, we would see beyond the shadow of a doubt that the Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side. I need to hear you agree with me, church, because I believe that the Lord is on our side. He is. Scripture says it. It's right here in black and white. It's in the the text. He is on our side. If God is for us, who can be against us? We just read that in Romans 8 a few weeks ago. The idea, this idea is a thread that runs throughout all Scripture and is repeated twice here. The Lord is on my side. I think we have to believe. We have to trust. Psalm 84 is actually another one of my favorites. We're not going to cover anything. I just want to read. It says, uh, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. If you haven't memorized that psalm already, you gotta, you gotta jump on it. You gotta memorize it, you gotta get it in your heart, you gotta get it in your spirit. It needs to be a lens through which you view your life. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Everyone in this theater today, you would probably agree with the, the statement that God hates sin, right? He does. But do you know what I think God hates more than sin? Something that that, that just kills the heart of God is when we refuse to receive his grace that takes care of the sin problem. That's what God hates. That's what breaks his heart. When we refuse to receive what he has clearly offered to us and what he wants to do for us, until we settle that score, our spiritual growth will always be stunted. We'll never get there until we settle the fact that God wants to bless you beyond your ability to be blessed, beyond what you can ask or imagine. So what we need to do then, by obedience, is to position ourselves to receive this blessing. The Lord is on my side. you got to tell yourself, the Lord is on my side. you got to believe and trust that the Lord is on my side. And not just my side, but your side. Verse 10, let's keep going. All nations surrounded me in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surrounded me. Surrounded me on every side in the name of the Lord. I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns, and in the name of the Lord, I cut them off. Three times the psalmist invokes the authority of God when he says, In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. He also references this idea of being surrounded. Like being surrounded, not just surrounded by like bad people, but surrounded by hostile nations. We don't know exactly who the author of this psalm is, but, but in all likelihood it was, it was an Israelite king. And obviously, speaking of a battle scenario here, you know, it reminds me of one of my favorite stories coming out of World War II. You know, I got to throw some history in here. 1944, Battle of the Bulge. Some of you may have heard of it, a pretty important, crucial battle in in World War II. And um, during the Battle of the Bulge, American forces were completely surrounded by the German army in Belgium. Outnumbered, uh, there were 410 thousand uh german soldiers surrounding uh, a little over 200,000 american forces a couple of brits thrown in there as well just for good measure and um they had panzer units they had tanks they had all the atir- artillery they had everything they had they had warplanes they had a thousand uh air units and and it was they were just surrounded they were outnumbered outmanned and it looked like the american army was defeated and so the german commander sent the american general An ultimatum, demanding his immediate surrender, as one does during war. And so the American general calls all of his troops together, and and here's what he said. Men, (laughs) men, we are surrounded by the enemy. But we have the greatest opportunity ever presented to an army. We can attack in any direction. So instead of surrendering, they chose to fight. And it actually turned; it, it was a turning point in World War II. That nearly that that that, that really actually turned the tide. That was the, the really the last major German offensive, and it and it really turned the tide of the war. And I love that image of of these guys just hunkered down. It was the middle of December. It was freezing. It was cold. They were hunkered down in this forest or what was left of a forest, getting getting bombarded, and they chose to. Instead, not look at the fact that they were surrounded by their enemy, but the fact that they could attack in any direction. I wonder if some of you have ever felt surrounded. If you're in debt and your finances are a source of stress, doesn't it kind of feel like you're surrounded by debt? Like like you can't get out? I think sometimes we make a mistake and instead of moving forward, it, it really feels like we're surrounded by regret. and It's so hard to know how to get out of that. Or we make some mistake and guilt, this idea of guilt, surrounds us. Or as we think about our future, we're surrounded by, by anxiety. All of us have, have probably been there. And I might submit that that. It might even be preferably to be surrounded by an actual army with sharp objects intending to kill you. There may be some of the, the feelings of being surrounded that, that maybe you're feeling or have felt. But let's put this in perspective because we're talking about a life and death scenario here. But what I, I, I love is the way this king and the, and the psalmist, whoever wrote this psalm, draws on the authority of the Lord pulls on the authority of the Lord in the name of the Lord. If we underestimate anything, I think it's the authority that is ours by virtue of the fact that we are in right relationship with Jesus Christ. There's an authority there. We totally underestimate the authority that is ours. Because of that, and because we are control freaks, we assume all we we assume uh, all of the stress and all of the anxiety because we feel like we have to take care of it ourselves. But the truth is we don't. We 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 don't have to do that. We we really, the Bible says that God fights our battles for us. If we are walking in obedience, we are in right relationship with him. The Bible tells me that God goes before me and he prepares the way for me. And it's in his authority that he can open doors that seem to be locked. It's in his authority that he can, that that we can unleash miracles in our lives that, that we have no idea how they happened. It's in the authority of God that we will take, uh, that that he'll take us places and help us to do things that we have no right going and, and no right doing. But the authority of God will take you to those places if you learn to not walk in your own strength and wisdom, but learn to allow the authority of God to flow through you. In the name of the Lord, I cut you off. What a powerful image from the psalmist. Now I know that sounds nice, right? That sounds nice. Maybe you fell into one of those categories at the beginning. You're surrounded by debt. You're surrounded by stress. You're surrounded by anxiety, crippling fear. And it sounds nice to say, in the name of the Lord, I cut you off. But how does that happen? Listen, there's not a magic formula. There's not some creed that you can recite. But I do believe that something happens when we fully put our trust in the Lord. It is trust that begins to unlock the authority of God in a situation. Let me let me put it in practical terms. I'm not going to lie, the beginning of last year I experienced an unbelievable amount of stress and really started to feel the effects of anxiety for the very first time. i had never felt anxiety in my life. In fact, when somebody talked about anxiety, I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never been there. I don't I don't get it. But last year I kind of felt a lo- I felt a lot of that for the very first time. Praise God for the guidance and direction that led uh, Jen and I to, to staying in Greenwood and starting Legacy City Church. But it was not without an incredible amount of worry and stress and sleepless nights. And I'm not going to share all those details because I know I've shared a lot of them many times already. But we prayed for weeks and months about what God wanted us to do. Although we had already had a confirmation on the idea that we were planting a church somewhere, we still were praying. We still were seeking. We still were trying to figure out what's going on. What are we going to do? And, and after a while, I just started to assume all the stress of what's next. Where are we going? How are we going to make money? How are we going to feed our kids? What if this doesn't work? But then, at some point, I just had to come to terms and put it in God's hands. And it's beautiful, church. I began to experience the peace of God that transcends all understanding. I began to guard my heart and my mind in Christ Jesus, and once that ha- happened, I was able to lean into church planning because I had a piece about God's direction for my life. And when that happened, we started meeting together with four other people, and we we met together and we prayed and we just spent several nights and, and, and over a couple of weeks just praying about what it looks like to to plant a church and what it would look like to plant even here in Greenwood. And 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 listen, there's a difference between just praying and there. There's a place for a conversation with God, but there's also a place to intercede in authority that is rightfully ours, in accordance with the will of God. And there was a moment during one of those prayer times where it was almost like breaking through the sound barrier or something, where something happened, something snapped in my spirit. And I began praying past tense, thanking God, For things that He's already done that has not yet actually happened in this current reality. I started believing God for the things that were to come and looking beyond my current situation and circumstances. I started thanking God for what He had already accomplished. But it was funny because it hadn't actually been accomplished yet in my eyes, in my mind, in this place. That might sound crazy, church, I know that, but but God doesn't exist within within our dimensions of space and time. There is no past, present, or future. So what seems like future to me is already a reality if it's in accordance with the will of God. And Legacy City Church, thankfully, was. And the future church plants, and the future leaders, and the future salvations, those already are, and I'm already thanking God for all, all of those in the name of the Lord, with the authority of the Lord. So, church, let me also say this. If you really want to see God glorified and see his kingdom expanded, which I hope and pray all of you do, then you begin to pray that in authority, with authority, in the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you something. Bold prayers do not offend God. The only thing that offends God is a prayer that is prayed with less authority than you should be praying because it is yours in Christ. The authority is yours in Christ Jesus, in the name of the Lord. So here's what happens when you begin to understand that authority. In accordance with the will of God, you begin to appreciate what's next. Verse 15. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. Don't you love the strong right hand of the Lord? Has anyone ever been forced to do something with your weaker hand? Like, I'm, I'm right-handed. I'm useless with this hand. I'm useless with my left hand. Maybe you broke your arm and you had to write with your non-dominant hand. Anybody ever been there? That's rough, right? You you almost like, you feel like you're going back to kindergarten trying to, like, learn how to hold, like, you're, you're this is how I hold my, why does this not look right? And you're trying to, maybe you had a sprain or a blister and you had to open a jar with your dominant, and that makes you feel, guys, emasculated. Like, I can't, I can't get it. I'm holding it here and trying to, you got to use your weaker hand sometimes. And so I was thinking about that, because, because your weaker hand is not equal to the task that's in front of you, right? You've got a jar to open. You've got a, a, a paper to write. Your weaker hand is not equal to the task that's in front of you. And I was, I was thinking about that. The, the Hebrew word references the right hand or the strong hand, if you will. That's funny, though, isn't it? I mean, it's not like God has a weakness. I would consider God ambidextrous, I think he can do that. Tonight when you go to bed, try brushing your teeth with your weak hand. I did that this morning. I felt weird. We are so weak with our weak hand. But this just accentuates that this is the strong hand of God extended on our behalf. Here's where it's so cool. This is where things. This is where uh, here, here's here's where it brings a, a truth that is so enlightening. I think the ten plagues that delivered. Again, I told you this was about uh, the deliverance. Uh, Psalm one eighteen is is referring to the deliverance of the the Israelites out of Egypt. The ten plagues that delivered Israel out. Uh, they were that was the deliverance. So guess what? That wasn't the work of the Lord's strong right hand. It, it wasn't the strong right hand of the Lord that 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 did it. That that put these plagues these miracles, if you will, into motion. If you reread it, what you'll notice, I believe this is scripture, I believe this is true, the ten miracles were attributed to the finger of God. The single finger of God. Now, I don't read too much into it, but but Jewish rabbis believe that it was one finger of God that, in a sense, performed all ten miracles. And in a sense, it says, imagine, imagine, what the strong right hand of the Lord can do. Imagine what the strong right hand of the Lord is capable of doing. One finger smite of the firstborn of all of Egypt. But it's the strong right hand of the Lord extended on our behalf. Come on, somebody, that should get you excited. So you start getting a hold of this stuff. The Lord is on my side. The Lord is on my side. In the name of the Lord, in the name of the Lord. The strong right hand of the Lord. The strong right hand of the Lord. We, we, get, we get this in our, in our soul, in our spirit, in our mind. We begin to digest this. And by the time you get to this place, your faith is built a little bit, isn't it? And you begin to believe God to do things that are bigger and beyond our ability. But we're going to have to jump to the end just for time's sake. Verse 29, the psalm ends this way. And I love this. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. I think that most of our prayers revolve around asking God to change our circumstances. Am I speaking to somebody in here? They're circumstantial prayers. And I have to tell you that God is less concerned with changing our circumstances than he is with changing our character. Probably more prayers should revolve around, God, what are you teaching me in this? What kind of character are you trying to work out? Through this situation. But because we're so anxious to get out of situations, we never get anything out of those situations. So, so you have people who have been Christians for 25 years, but they don't have 25 years experience. They have one year, uh, one year of experience repeated 25 times. And then we wonder why we find ourselves in the same circumstances over and over and over again. Maybe it's because we haven't learned the lesson that God is trying to teach us, or we haven't cultivated the character that God is trying to work on in us and through us. Is this helping somebody? I think what I'm getting at, in the end, this is just a key that unlocks so much. This is just a key. Just give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. That unlocks so much. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. This is so critical. We have to choose how we respond to our circumstances. We can choose to wallow in self-pity and frustration. We can choose to lie down in the midst of anxiety and worry. We can allow others to dictate our emotions. Or we can choose to focus on the things that we're grateful for. And it starts with the simple things. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. The sun rose this morning. A miracle of immeasurable proportions, but we hardly even notice it anymore because we take it for granted. This is the only appropriate reaction to all the things that we've talked about, all the things that this chapter mentions. The Lord is for you. Give thanks to the Lord. In the name of the Lord, with the authority of Christ, give thanks to the Lord. The strong right hand of God, give thanks to the Lord. His steadfast love endures forever. We didn't even get to touch on that one, but give thanks to the Lord. The Lord is my strength and my song. Give thanks to the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. Give thanks to the Lord. I woke up this morning and breathed fresh air. Give thanks to the Lord. I have a church home and a church family. Give thanks to the Lord. I have grace and mercy and favor and provision. I am bought with a price and I am redeemed. I am blessed beyond comprehension and I, I get to be in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Give thanks to the Lord. You are my God, and I will give thanks to you. You are my God, I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Thanksgiving is is coming, but you don't have to wait for that day to be thankful for what what God has done for you. You can be thankful right now, right here. Because he is our God, and we got to give him thanks. I want you to know this morning that the Lord is on your side. With the authority of the Lord, the strong right hand of the Lord, we need to give thanks to the Lord. I'm going to pray and uh, Brad's going to come and and share some some closing things. I think we're going to worship before we leave. But if at any point during the next 10 minutes before we head out, you want to talk, you want to pray. I'll be down in the, the middle area. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to cry with you. Maybe you don't know who the Lord is today. Maybe I'm talking about this stuff, and I'm talking about the Lord, and you never heard, uh, you've heard about God, you've heard about Jesus, but, but you don't actually know these things I'm talking about. This love of God eludes you. It escapes you. You're not sure what that really means. And if I said the words relationship with Christ, that sounds foreign. Maybe that's you in here, and you just have some questions. Maybe the Lord's pressing on your heart right now. Your heart's beating pretty fast, and the Holy Spirit's pulling you and encouraging you to step out in faith and trust what he's doing in your life. Maybe you need to accept him today. Maybe you need to step into eternal life today through Christ Jesus. I'll be down in the middle. I'd love to talk with you and love to pray with you. Let me pray over you right now. God, we thank you so much for who you are, God, for for the amazing things that you've done in our life, for how you've blessed us, how you've, how you've, cleansed us, how you've uh, brought us from from life to death. God, we thank you so much for, for your right hand. We thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love. We thank you that even when we feel surrounded, God, we're surrounded by you. Even when we feel like the world is crashing in on us, you are our protection. You are our deliverer. We thank you, God, so much for your provision in our lives. We thank you for your favor in our lives. And I pray right now that as we, as we worship a little bit more uh, in these next moments, God, as maybe some people need to make some decisions that you will move in this place, that you will speak into our hearts and into our lives, God, that you will pull us and that we'll step out in faith and follow whatever you want us to do. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.